I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Cancer immunotherapies have shown great promise, but many tumors can develop resistance as the changing tumor microenvironment can help cancers evade detection and allow cancer cells to proliferate. Teon Therapeutics is developing immuno-oncology therapies for difficult-to-treat cancers that are designed to have the dual effect of restoring immune activity while suppressing cancer cell proliferation. We spoke to Serge Masurlian, CEO of Teon Therapeutics, about what happens when immunotherapies fail, the unique approach Teon is taking, and how the dual activity of its cancer therapies can restore immune activity while suppressing cancer cell proliferation. Serge, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for making the time, Danny. We're going to talk about Teon Therapeutics, its immuno-oncology therapies and development, and its unique approach to address difficult-to-treat cancers. Uh, before we get to what the company is doing, though, I wanted to start with you. You joined about a month ago from Janssen Oncology, which I imagine is a much better resource company. What attracted you to Teon? What was the opportunity you saw? Oh, thanks, Danny. Uh, really, a few things to tell you the truth. Uh, first and foremost, it really started with uh, the quality of the team. Uh, you know, as I was having conversations with the organization, you know, the 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 R&D team is extraordinary. Uh, they have very extensive experience with uh, specific GPCR molecules, G-protein coupled receptors. Uh, they spent their entire careers uh, working with these types of receptors in particular, uh, the chemistry and the modulation of those receptors. And so I think depth of expertise, you know, counts for a lot. And I think it also says a lot in that, you know, frankly, you know, you know, three and a half, four years ago, there was no company. And to go from nothing to, you know, a company where we have one molecule in the clinic now and soon a second, I think it really says a lot about the the, the insights that the R and D team has and the the level of their judgment in terms of designing and developing molecules uh, that that hopefully are effective. Um, but that 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 I think was uh, was a very important point. And then you know, insofar as the you know the the quality of the science goes, I, I really saw you know the idea of targeting G protein coupled receptors is really an untapped space. Uh, in oncology, it's well known in many other diseases, um, you know, as 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 drug targets, but for oncology, it's lesser known. And um, I think with the with the targets that we are looking at uh, in the adenosine space, uh, as well as other spaces, uh, I, I just think there's a lot of opportunity there to be able to make an impact with the science that the team is presently doing with the drugs that we're presently developing. So. I think taken together, it gave me a lot of confidence that this was the right move and that Tian was the right company with the right uh, aspiration ahead. 
Immunotherapies have been an exciting emerging area of cancer, but they're only effective in a small group of patients. What happens in the tumor microenvironment that allows tumors to grow resistant to immunotherapies? Well, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty complex question, um, and I can think of, uh, gosh, a number of ways uh, in which resistance, either you know, primary resistance or secondary resistance, acquired after after kind of being on a on an immunotherapy, uh, you know, take place. But you know, it's a very complex uh, field. But you know, just to try to break it down, in some ways. Um, there are either uh, kind of reasons that do not uh, allow uh, a T cell to become reactive, right? Um, either tumors uh, don't present what's called neoantigens, which uh, sort of demonstrate to the body that they are foreign, or that, you know, how those antigens get presented to the immune system, there may be sort of deficiencies there. Uh, there could be deficiencies in terms of, um, you know, kind of st stimulatory signals that are to sort of amp up the immune system, uh, they can become impaired. Um, you know, the the tumor microenvironment kind of secondly is a pretty hostile place, uh, you know, for the immune system. Um, uh, various cells can be drawn into that tumor microenvironment to inhibit immune response like MDSCs, uh, which are suppressor cells, myeloid-derived suppressor cells, and, and other such cells. Um, so really, there's a host of mechanisms um, that create, you know, ultimately resistance. And, you know, you're right, uh, you know, immune, immune, uh, immune therapies broadly hold a lot of promise, um, but they may not work for everybody and they may not be durable, you know, importantly enough. Um, and that has to do with, you know, perhaps ways that tumors are able to evade or sort of limit T cells to become memory cells to have a durable response. Um, but, you know, taken together, it's naturally a very complex space. Uh, we haven't solved uh, everything in the space. And that means that there's a lot of opportunity ahead, certainly to develop uh, more therapies uh, that can be uh, even more helpful for, for patients ultimately. Xeon is developing therapies that both target metabolic signaling pathways to restore anti-tumor immunity and also suppress cancer cell proliferation. You're actually using small molecule therapies to do this by targeting, as you mentioned, the G protein couple receptor. This is a target that's been exploited to treat a large number of conditions, but generally not cancers. Why is that? Um, I think maybe for a few reasons. Uh, you know, that I can, that I can think about at least, you know, generally, um, you know, as we think about the evolution of cancer therapy, you know, it, it wasn't really that, that long ago that, you know, cancer therapy development has taken the turn to become more sophisticated as we sort of entered the realm of developing targeted therapies, as we entered the realm of you know, immunotherapies and, and the like. I mean, the, the, these are things that have kind of largely transpired, let's say, over the course of the past, you know, decade or so. Um, now, having said that, you know, I think when you look at kind of G-protein coupled receptors, there's, you know, I think 800, you know, plus genes uh, that are ascribed to that 
a good a good number of them are sort of well understood and are associated with other diseases but insofar as oncology goes they're not quite as well understood and moreover um, in order to really understand them it's not just kind of the receptors that you need to understand importantly you need to understand the ligands um, or the molecules that sort of connect with these receptors to you know turn them on or turn them off depends on kind of what's what, what's happening but you know all this to say you know this the the ligand and the receptor they're kind of like a lock and key and they need to work together and one needs to understand uh both sides of that equation one needs to understand how is the lock working and what does it do and how does it function um and then what does the key do and how does it work and how is it designed and how does it interact with the lock essentially um and a lot of that isn't yet well understood um or that pieces are missing there are many g protein coupled receptors to which the ligand is unknown uh and so it's really difficult to understand kind of its function uh, within a tumor conceivably and what it does and how it works and then more importantly what to do about it to either you know sort of block it or inhibit it so kind of all this to say there's uh there, there's still a lot to be learned in the, in the in the realm of oncology as it relates to g protein coupled receptors What's the Warburg effect and what's the significance of this with tumor microenvironment? Yeah. So the, the Warburg effect is, I mean, it's something that's been known for a long time. Um, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, uh, maybe a uh, hundred years. I don't, I don't know the exact uh, time by which that, that theory was developed, but in, in fact, what it, what it really is about is that tumors, have the ability to create their own energy through um, through glycosylis, glycosylis, and and that is a little bit different than what normal cells do. Now, normal cells can also f function in an anaerobic state, you know, through um, sort of glycolytic enzymes, right? Uh, but, but glycosylis is uh, it's an inefficient way to produce energy. Most normal cells produce their energy through, you know, you likely well know the Krebs cycle or the tricarboxylic acid cycle, uh, et cetera, which is a much more effective way. It's effectively called oxidative phosphor phosphorylation. Uh, but tumors have adapted in some way, whether it's in an anaerobic state or aerobic state to, you know, predominantly draw their energy through glycolysis. So, uh, so that's effectively what the Warburg effect is. Um, and what it means kind of relative to tumor microenvironment is um, because they're able to sort of digest glucose um, in the cytosol of the cells, they're able to sort of create, they need to create, or they create as a byproduct, a lot of lactate. And lactate is able to create, you know, sort of uh, acidity uh, and kind of help create, um, you know, part of this toxic or hostile environment that I was telling you about uh, as part of the, the, the TME or the tumor microenvironment. So, um, you know, there are different strategies uh, presently being employed by different organizations to see is there a way to inhibit or limit uh, that glycolytic uh, you know, sort of process in the in the tumor, and then halt halt the tumor progression as a result. But it's one strategy amongst many uh, that organizations like us are looking to exploit, which is metabolism. You know, broadly of a, of a tumor. Well, you're trying to antagonize metabolic pathways in both tumor cells and immune cells. What are you actually doing? Are you targeting specific enzymes? 
Yeah. So what, you know, one of our programs, our lead program, uh, which we call TT702, is an adenosine 2B, uh, 2-beta receptor antagonist. So what what is that? You know, there is a very important um, metabolic pathway, which is the adenosine pathway. Um, and what we are trying to do uh, is to, that adenosine that gets produced, you know, ultimately, you know, by the tumor uh, ends up kind of collecting in the in the tumor microenvironment and then connecting to uh, adenosine to B receptors in immune cells. And what it does is it, it inhibits the immune system, uh, effectively shuts it down. And our job is to be able to create antagonists that are highly selective to 2B and highly potent such that we're able to block that effect. And if we're able to block that effect, then our hope uh, and expectation is that it'll turn the immune system back on and, um, you know, prime prime T cells uh, and other cells conceivably to start to act, uh, you know, against the tumor. And that that's really what what our what our job is, uh, whether it's TT702 or, you know, frankly, any of the other sort of targeted portfolio molecules that we're developing. They're all kind of geared to do the same type of thing, which is inhibit tumor metabolism in some way and then kind of re uh, uh, reverse the suppression of the of the T cells or the immune system. Given the mechanism of action, do you, do you expect to use these as monotherapies or do you see them being better used in combination with other immunotherapies or other therapies? Yeah. Well, you you well know, you know, I think in, in many respects, oncology is a combination game. Um, now, having said that, our our plans are to demonstrate effect in all of our molecules uh, as monotherapies. You know, our second program, uh, not TT702, that's the lead program, but the second program that we're working on, something called TT816, is actually a small molecule immune checkpoint inhibitor. Um, and it's something that we're very excited about. Now, we haven't released what the target is uh, of this molecule, but you know, as an example, our plan is to demonstrate monotherapy effect with that uh, small molecule immune checkpoint and to study it in combination with other types of, uh, you know, immune checkpoint inhibitors like a PD-1, PD-L1. So, you know, our, our thinking is that um, really to get the most utility ultimately for patients that we, we, need, we need to st- study it in combination as well as monotherapy. Existing immunotherapies have been more successful in liquid than solid tumors. Do you expect your approach to be agnostic to that? Um, Well, we don't know yet. You know, so far, I will say, you know, as I think about the immune, you know, checkpoint inhibitors that are that are out there, they've 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 done very well for patients in solid tumors. So our thinking is you know, really to start in the solid tumor space and to build on that kind of success on the science uh, that is understood and known in the solid tumor space. But, you know, certainly as we as we evaluate our scientific programs and priorities, um, you know, definitely myself having spent time in the hematology realm as an example, you know, have interest in exploring uh, in hematology. So, you know, but, you know, we can't boil the ocean. Uh, we've got to start somewhere and learn. Uh, and we've chosen solid tumors as a starting point, but naturally open to considering any and all avenues to which patients could benefit from, um, you know, from our scientific exploration. You talked a bit about TT702. This is your 
lead experimental therapy. You're conducting a phase one, two clinical trial in a range of difficult to treat cancers. How does this study work and how will it define the development path forward? Well, really, uh, really what we're looking to do is to evaluate, uh, certainly in the phase one, first off, the safety uh, and the appropriate dosing of, of the molecule. Uh, and that's really what the what the goal of the phase one is. And it's a phase one that's um, sort of defined to assess the molecule in mixed tumor types. Um, and I think as we as we learn, um, you know, how this uh, therapy may perform you know, through the phase one in humans uh, to be able to determine a safe dose. Um, I, I think that's really the kind of the most important goal that, that we can achieve thereafter. I think that, you know, it'll really depend on kind of what patients we want to select to expand into cohorts uh, into into phase two and, 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 and other types of expansions. But, you know, for us now, what's really important is that we get a good feel for, you know, the safety and the tolerability of the program to ensure that any further you know, science that we do in people is, is done in a very safe uh, and controlled manner. You're doing this study in collaboration with Cancer Research UK. Are, are they funding the study and, and how far might they take this in development with you? Um, yes, they are. Uh, they are supporting the, uh, the funding of the study. And uh, presently, our scope with them is to uh, do this in partnership for the phase one and the, and the phase two. So that's kind of the, the scope that we have presently. What's known about the safety and efficacy of the, the therapy at this point? Um, can't, can't really say yet. We're still uh, in the early goings of it, and we're looking to advance the phase one over the course of the year to have, uh, you know, sufficient data to, to, uh, to say, you know, something about the, the safety aspect of the program. So uh, you'll have to invite me back at a at a later time, and I'm I'm happy to share share the data as we have it available. Well, you raised thirty million in a venture round in February 2021. How far will existing funding take you, and what's the plan for raising money from here? Yeah, we had uh, we had a very successful raise last year. Um, it really set the organization up for success to be able to achieve uh, these short term value inflecting sort of milestones that we have uh, getting into the clinic, filing INDs, et cetera, et cetera, advancing some of our preclinical pipeline. You know, so the the funding will take us, you know, largely to the end of the year, and we have flexibility around that. We have very supportive investors, which we're really, really lucky uh, to have in this um, in this challenging uh, funding environment. Um, and at some point, certainly we'll be, you know, we'll be considering a, another raise and we're in the process of evaluating what are our options uh, in, in terms of doing that. So, um, you know, m- more to come on that. Serge Masurlian, CEO of Teon Therapeutics. Serge, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. It was a real pleasure to, uh, to speak to you and I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. 
Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it. Thank you.